Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Harry Stout on line. Harry, how are you? I'm great, Michael. How are you today? I am awesome. Looking forward to this conversation because we're going to talk about finance and personal finances. And as we chatted briefly in the pre-show, right now, especially during this pandemic, this is a big area of concern for so many people. Uh, There's a lot of different things going on in the world that can impact personal finance. But before we get too deep into it, share your backstory and and how you got into finance and, and the work that you're doing today. Sure. Michael, I've been in the financial services business for over 30 years, 35 years. Uh, I've been the chief, I've been there, the chief marketing officer, president, or chief executive officer of several large financial services companies. And I've had a chance to work all around the world and uh, see how people manage their money, the issues that they have, the common themes that exist. And uh, what I decided to do a couple of years ago for a number of different reasons was focus on financial education, financial literacy, and helping people lead more stress-free, anxiety-free financial lives. And that's what I was trying to, I've been trying to do. That's incredible work that you're doing and so many people need it because it's one of those things, especially in school where they, they didn't focus on it enough from my opinion. Now my, Original career was public accounting, so I was interested in numbers anyway and finance and accounting and everything like that. But it was the choices were slim, especially in, in high school, of what you could take. And, and unless, of course, you know, for many people, if they couldn't afford to go to a college or a university, then you know, they were limited as far as their expertise that they could gain on finance. And of course, now um, you can go online and study pretty much anything, but the key is to know the right things to look for, for your own financial needs, desires, and everything else. So uh, I'm sure you get people from time to time that reach out to you and they'll say, well, I read this here and read this there, but it's really not applicable to their own personal situation. No, I totally agree. And actually, Michael, the situation's much worse than you've described. If you, if you, really, if you really drill down on it, we spend more time in this country and in the United States teaching people to drive an automobile than we do to have them drive money. In fact, today, only 19 states mandate a personal finance course by the time someone graduates high school. And if you look back a decade, that was substantially lower. So there's a significant financial literacy gap, not only with young adults, but really adults of all ages. We just really haven't taught people how to approach money and to look at money in the context of their life. So if someone comes to you and they they say, I'm I'm just completely a novice on my personal finances, I'm not sure which direction I should take when it comes to investing or savings and, and what my budget should look like and all of that. You know, what are some of the things that you guide people to do that really get better on, on their financial situation? There are a number of things, Michael, but I think the first thing people have to do is spend time 
learning about money. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't mean to be quoting statistics, but some of them are, are very on point. Uh, today in our country, a couple of different studies have indicated people spend two minutes and 24 seconds a day on their money. Two minutes and 24 seconds versus two and a half hours on social media. So the first thing people do, we have this literacy gap. So I encourage people, uh, I have a, a program that I call Spend Two. Spend two hours a week learning about money, and I give people a list of different uh, podcasts, uh, uh, different sources, websites that they can visit to begin to their journey. And uh, I, I provide that to them and just encourage them to get started. Uh, it's, so, it's just so important. But the, the learning is number one in my view. And the second, with your background in public accounting, you'll laugh at this, you may not, is just to have a cash budget. And I talk a lot about this. And, and actually, when I say the word budget to people, they're, typically most people, their eyes will glaze over and they'll run away from me. Uh, they, the word budget doesn't, doesn't hit home very well. So I've changed how I discuss, describe this with people. And I indicate, look, you need to have some reflective practices with respect to money. You need to understand how much income you have how much outflow you have, where your spending is taking place, so that you can have an awareness of money in your life. And actually, that changes people's thoughts a little bit and they and focus a little bit. And I just, if I can help people become more aware of what they're doing, in particular, what they're doing that's hurting them, you can really improve someone's life. And but I'll laugh, you'll laugh again, possibly, but uh, that cash budget is really the thing that uh, really opens people's eyes in a major way. And it doesn't have to be a sophisticated financial model. It simply needs to be what income do I have? What expenses do I have? And beginning to look at what people are actually doing, because we lead such hectic lives today that people don't take the time, and you can see that in the studies, to really look at where their money's coming from and where it's going. We see it all the time, and uh, you know, again, being the, uh, as my brother likes to call me, my the reformed accountant, uh, since I'm not in that world anymore, but it's still, you, it's like riding a bike, you just continue to do it. But you look at it and you go, okay, where am I spending my money? Where am I spending this money this quarter or this month or even this week? And a great example, especially for people uh, that I find, and I'm not going to pick on any generation per se, but I do find that a lot of people that will use food delivery services, for example, and they'll have the mm -hmm. order of the food and have it brought in. And you know, they're, they could be paying $40, $50, depending on what they order. And I tell them, you know, hey, you could spend that money at a grocery store and get you know, several meals out of it instead of one. And their argument is, well, I don't have time to cook. But here's the deal. I cook all the time. And the longest any of my meals tend to take, especially if I have to bake something, of course, it's going to take an hour. But if it's something that I'm cooking on the stove and preparing veggies and all of that stuff, 20, 25 minutes. I've used the meal delivery service. I've never had my food delivered within a half an hour, ever. Um, and the restaurants are literally five minutes away from here. But prep time, delivery, person picks it up, I go downstairs, grab it, come back up. It's minimum a half an hour, maybe closer to 45 minutes to an hour. I could have prepared a meal, ate it, cleaned up after it that time, and spent five to ten dollars instead of fifty dollars multiply that times several times a month all of a sudden 
like, you know, because I ask people, like, how much are you spending on rideshare or how much are you spending on food delivery service? And they add up and they look and they go, I spent $600 on food delivery last month. Apparently so. And, well, and it's and people, like you said, are just, it's because they're spending two minutes looking at their finances and two and a half hours on social media. Now, when you look at it, I, I, my view is a little different than yours. I would say that if, if, if you want to use food delivery services and that's part of your lifestyle, that's a choice you make. Again, it's personal finance. But on the other hand, I look at the big picture. And if it, at the end of the month, if you're spending $1,200 a month on food delivery services and a reasonable grocery bill for you should be $600, maybe you got a problem, especially if you've got credit card debt at 15% interest. You need to sit down and become aware. And I think that's the shocking thing for people when they actually sit down and lay out where their income is coming from, where they're spending. Just look at the major categories and getting their arm around it, their arms around it. It's shocking to them. Like you said, they don't, wow, I didn't know I was spending that much on Uber. I didn't realize I was spending that much on DoorDash. You know, I didn't know those things. Once you know them, you can decide whether or not you want to continue to do that or uh, do, uh, look at other options. And the subscription model that so many organizations are pushing us towards, you know, the Netflixes and the Disney Pluses and the iTunes and the Spotify and all these little things. For people look at it and they say, okay, it's, it's only $10 a month or $15 <laughs> a month. But you, when you have a hundred of those subscriptions every month, like you said, your credit card is like, why is my credit card bill so high? And you look at it, it's like Spotify, iTunes, Disney Plus, Netflix. Peacock, all, you know, every, you're subscribing to all of these things, but, you know, they're like, well, I cut the cable bill. It's like, well, yeah, but you, you, you're, you're paying more for television than you did before because you've got all of these subscriptions going on. So again, it's, it's that nickel and diming using that phrase of these subscription models that again, impacts your finances. If you don't keep on top of it to see exactly what you're doing. But I, I love your analogy though. It's personal finance for Everybody's different as far as what they want. And again, I'm not condemning anybody that does meal yeah. delivery. There may be other circumstances that prevent them from cooking, but um, or maybe they just hate cooking. I get it. You know, I don't want to put you through something you hate, but at the end of the day, getting a better understanding so you know, you know what your options are uh, will go a long way. It, it, Michael, what I did was I, I, I created something I call the financial verse. And what it is, is just the reality of money. I, I'm not telling you that you must do this or you must do that, but there are just certain rules. It's almost the physics of money, if you will. And uh, when you look at spending and budgets and so on, realistically, you can't spend more than you make forever and expect not to have credit card bills and have your life under control. So you really have to begin to have an awareness of these issues because, again, and, and you and I share a similar background. I'm, I'm a, an alum of the par, a public accounting world also. And you and I both know if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And you have to spend time doing it. And it doesn't have to be some sophisticated model. I mean, I started out in my college years with just writing down. I had a little bu a mathematical budget where I had my, my inflow and outflow so I could get through school. And I've done that, kept that my entire life, by the way. Just automated it a little differently. But, uh, you know, that's what people have to do. It's, again, it's awareness, getting better control. Because then when those credit card bills come in and you've got, 
you know, today, 15, 18% interest rates in a zero interest rate world for what you can earn on your money, it's just terribly shocking for people. And, the, and, it, and it creates huge press, excuse me, huge pressure on them, their families. Uh, it, it's a world that they, should, they don't want to be in. You know, to, to be in a situation where every day, every decision is a major financial decision for your household is, is debilitating. And, we, and, and what I try to do in my work is to help people get to some basic financial security. Uh, if you want to talk to uh, someone in the financial field that talks about get, get rich quick and here's the overnight millionaire and so on, that's not what I do. Uh, I'm the one who helps people. So look, if you can just pay your bills and save money, have a good emergency fund and save money for your, for your later years, those are key things you need to do. You'll be so much better off throughout your life if you just do that. That's my message and what I try to talk about and all I do. Slow and steady wins the race. And it's and compound interest when, when we were getting interest on our money. Um, not so much right now. No, uh, no, no, we're not. Yeah, and, that's, and I understand some of the reasons why it's going on, but it's... It, it, it hurts when you tell people, well, you know, start saving. And they're like, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting the same amount of interest with the money under our mattress. For those of us that remember that analogy, um, the young kids are like, well, why would you put money under your mattress? Yes. Yeah, it's, like, it's like, oh, never mind. Yeah. It's like read history books. You might be able to learn that from that angle. But long story short, it's, you know, having a financial plan on what you want to do. And one of the things you mentioned, and again, in our pre-show was, you know, so many of us live on our finances as of right now, and mm-hmm. we're not thinking about the future, and you can actually do both. Obviously, your day-to-day, and I, I love what you said about, and it saddens me, of course, that so many households have devastating financial decisions to make on a daily basis. That wears on you. That gives you premature balding. That gives you all kinds of different challenges and toss in a pandemic and maybe there's some income adjustments that are being made right now because maybe one of the you know, family members is not working right now or their hours are reduced. It's it's not a fun time for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. But even in those situations, if you have a plan in place, then when pitfalls come in, you have some ability to adjust accordingly to be able to do things that you need to do in order to withstand those storms. No, Michael, you're so correct. One of the the issues I think people have is they feel uncomfortable talking or seeking out a financial professional, a coach, if you will. They feel because they don't know what they don't know. And as a result, they they don't seek out the advice they should get. And that I I try to encourage advice wherever I can, because so many times in our lives, I mean, if we we want to work out better, if we want to improve our golf swing, if we want to improve our our tennis swing, if we want to be a better gamer, we go to camps, we find coaches, we go to, you know, various different types of individuals who can help us. But when it comes to money, people are afraid to do that. And they shouldn't be. And, and so what, I've, what I try to do is in what I write and, and, and all the things that I produce, I try to help people get the knowledge that they need so they feel comfortable asking questions. It's okay. But you need to get advice, particularly today. Things are very, very uh, complicated in so many areas, so very complex. And you need 
to be able to reach out. And there are a lot of good people out there that you can reach out to to get information to help you in your journey. And you should not feel afraid to do that. And people, it, it just, again, uh, recently uh, talked to a millennial for, who for the first time at, uh, she was 29, sat down with a financial planner to talk about her life and money. She had a good job, but she couldn't manage her money very well indeed. And after about uh, two hours, her awareness of what she was doing to herself became abundantly clear and she was shocked, totally shocked. And she's on a wholly a different path now. And she feels differently about what she's doing. Yeah, and I think she appreciates and again, not knowing her financial situation and how she was spending money or things like that. I would anticipate that when she does spend money on things that she enjoys, she probably enjoys them more instead of it just being an autopilot type of mode. Because I know so many people get an autopilot. They wake up, they go to work, they stop by six bucks. They get, you know, their whatever and away they go. And then they, you know, don't look and realize, okay, I, I just spent $300 this month at six bucks is my code. I think you know who I'm talking about. Um, but I, disclaimer, I own Starbucks stock. So um, I'm, I'm kind of defeating the purpose as an investor telling people not to do that. But um, anyway, um, but at the end of the day, um, it, a lot of people with their finances, they're not paying attention to it or they're on autopilot mode and they're just, just going through life thinking they've got this endless reservoir of money and uh, we all have learned that's not the case. Yeah, and, and Michael, I'll tell you, uh, the pandemic, I think, creates a reset moment for people and much as, uh, for instance, I have, my parents were older, but as much as my parents lived through the, uh, the impact of the Great Depression, not the Great Recession, but the Great Depression of the 30s, I think uh, many generations today are going to look at what's happened with the pandemic, and it is going to, it has changed and will change people's habits. And I think people, it's a, it's a good time to do a reset. And given the fact you've been in, indoors for seven months, uh, you, you haven't been able to go out to dinner, a lot of your normal kind of activities have been curtailed because of uh, your actions to prevent your family from catching the virus, uh, it's time to really sit down and determine what's important to you. Are your values the same? And even today, as you and I speak, this is a great example. Uh, you're in one, uh, you and I are about 800, 900 miles apart. We work from our homes. Uh, and uh, remote, where, we, where people work and where they live are, is, is changing. And people will have the ability to decide, well, I'm not going to live near a major metropolitan area. I'm going to go live where there's a great quality of life for my family, for our household. And if you have children, for your children, you'll make different. We have the ability now to do a lot of different things because of the impact of the pandemic. And uh, we need to take advantage of the positives of the pandemic and manage the negatives as best we can. I love that. And you're the third person I've spoken with in the last two weeks that have referred to this pandemic as a reset opportunity. And I wholeheartedly agree and support it because the way things were working weren't really working well for us. And I think being able to choose where you live and not have it be tied to physically requiring to go into a, a physical workplace for so many people opens up the opportunities for a lot of different things. Uh, one, there's so many people that live 
downtown, very expensive property, and they want to live out in the countryside. And as long as they can get decent internet access, which is pretty much guaranteed now, uh, you can work anywhere. And you can work in a different country. And and, uh, a colleague of mine, and uh, he sent me a text the other day. He said, I was listening to one of your episodes, and you didn't mention my name, but I think you were talking about me. So, yes, I'm talking about you again, King. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll mention that. But he was working remotely in a completely different country from where he was working long before this pandemic. And that organization was completely open. They actually virtualized their their national office. Uh, because they looked at it as a cost savings mechanism, productivity increased, everyone was able to work wherever they wanted to. He took an opportunity going, you know what, Tampa, Florida is really nice. It's warm all year and I don't have to shovel anything. So that's what he did and uh, it, and loved it. And it was, it, again, now this opportunity comes up and you know there could be people that want to be closer to loved ones or maybe they want to move somewhere they've always wanted to live and they've never had the opportunity well this is a great reset you have that opportunity and as and we keep seeing every day more and more organizations are saying yep we're going to keep remote work and it might be a hybrid or it might be we're full on if you want to work full-time remotely and never come in the office we're good with that and that's that's awesome because it gives people the flexibility and especially the financial flexibility because in so many cases, and I know that, you know, I believe the staff, I remember correctly, as far as your housing expense, you want to keep it under roughly 30% of your income. Mm-hmm. And I know in many situations, especially oh. Toronto is a great example where the, you know, the rents and mortgages and all that stuff are so out of whack and people are still, you know, mortgaged up to their eyebrows basically. And, it's concerning to me because I look at it and go, wait a minute, the Great Recession, there was a lot of people that were, ran into some mortgage problems because yeah. people were getting mortgages that quite frankly shouldn't have been getting mortgages. And things went sideways and all of a sudden you had foreclosures you know, left, right, and center. And I look at this and I'm going, is that going to happen again? And the longer this pandemic draws out, uh, there's a distinct possibility we might see some more of those cases. And uh, with the Great Reset, it gives people that opportunity to, you know, maybe relocate to someplace that they can afford and still be able to do the work that they want to do. No, totally right, Michael. And another key point I'd, I'd like to bring to your listeners, I think it's real important. It used to be that the long-term or saving for the long-term or having money set aside for the long-term and having money in an emergency fund, they were nice-to-haves. But I think what the pandemic has showed you is that they're really must-haves. And so your thinking about money has to change in the sense of looking at your whole life. And I call this money for life. And really, it's money for tomorrow, not only today. And people need to think differently. And when you begin to look at the fact that uh, when I, I talk to young people and I said, folks, so most of you in the room will have about 15 jobs and you're going to live to be in your mid-90s. So you really need to, to think about your life that way and begin to plan that way. And people look at me, I'm going to live to my mid-90s. I said, well, yes, most likely that's where the trends are headed. If we find a cure for cancer, you could live to 125. But uh, as I say, you know, I say this, that 
people, they look at me like, what are you talking about? I mean, I'm going to live that long? And the answer is yes. And how will you pay for all those wonderful years? And, and you know, if you're, if you're lucky and you, you hit the genetic jackpot and you have the ability to live so long, that's fantastic. But younger folks, uh, younger folks are really going to have to deal with this. And uh, so many of us today, even uh, baby boomers looking to retire, I mean, they're going to live 85 to 90 pretty easily. How do they pay for all this? And so your thought process has to change. And that's why I think the Great Reset can help. Yeah, I love the money for life analogy because, again, we're living longer and we can't necessarily depend on government sources to bankroll everything. We, and, and it just don't, it, it's, and, I, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think it was ever designed to be a hundred percent of your income. Oh no! It, 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 in fact, in fact, Michael, if you look at it, in the United States, Social Security is designed to produce about forty percent of pre-retirement earnings for the typical worker. Higher incomes, much less, but for the typical worker, forty percent, and with an average benefit per person of around sixteen hundred dollars, you can't live on sixteen hundred dollars in retirement, and also be able to pay your health care costs and, and your essential needs. So, uh, the the, the the social safety net's a subject of a much different conversation. You and I could spend hours talking about that, but that needs to be rethought. And we, I think our, uh, many of our governments, are, uh, not only in the United States, but around the world, really need to sit down and carefully look at their social safety nets because, again, the pandemic has exposed them. Uh, food security, unemployment security, retraining needs. These are all areas that are all, they need a lot of study and, and just good solutions-oriented dialogue to get to a good place for all of us. Completely agree. Then, yeah, we could definitely spend days talking about that and all the different potential options. And if we can get governments to actually communicate with each other, that would actually be a good thing. But again, then that would be another episode of things. <laughs> we live in interesting times. So, Harry, I've absolutely loved this conversation, and I know my audience uh, will too. So, uh, where can people find out more about you and this incredible work you do? Sure. They can just go to financialverse.com. That's just one word, financialverse.com. There you can, you'll see all my, the books, my blog, other information we provide. We provide resources to people and just to help people live better lives financially, just a source of information and education. That's what we're all about. That's awesome. I'll have that information in the show notes. So Harry, once again, thank you again for the work you do. It's so critically important. It's never been more important than it is today for people. And uh, thanks again for being on the show. Oh, Michael, much appreciated. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.